0: Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you all this morning. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Romans as we continue our series through the book of Romans. And this morning, we are coming closer to the end of of Romans. We are in Romans 15 this morning, not quite at the end, but, but getting there. We've seen Paul unpack a lot of wonderful truth. We've seen him talk about justification by faith. We've seen him talk about the the wonder of our salvation, that Jews and Gentiles are brought together into this family of God. We've seen him expound truth after truth, that we are sinners in need of God's, God's grace. And we might wonder why, after all of that exposition, all of that wonderful truth, Paul ends the way he does. The next few chapters are going to take up Paul's missionary efforts, what he's doing, what what he actually is doing in terms of bringing the gospel forward. Why does Paul end there? Last week, when we read Romans 15, we ended in verse 13 that says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You might think Paul could have just signed off there. It's a great ending. It's really a culmination of so much that is true in the book of Romans. So why does Paul carry on? I think what he does is very important. He gives us a picture of theology lived out. This isn't sort of an ivory tower book. It actually is engaged in a missional effort to bring the gospel forward. And it's in this space that Paul turns our attention in these last chapters in the book of Romans. So would you stand this morning for the reading of God's word? We'll read Romans 15, beginning in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, to the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, for your truth. Lord, as we come to it this morning, would you, by the power of your spirit, work these truths deep into our hearts and our lives, that we would see this wonderful gospel message, that we would see it going forward, and we would be encouraged, that we would be lifted up, that we would be moved forward in obedience towards you. Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together this morning would be pleasing and acceptable to you. Yes, in your name, Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> when I was in college, I had a summer job. I went to college in the United States, and my summer job was up in Canada. And so, in the summers when I'd go back to my parents' home in Alberta, I had this job where I would go to different intersections around the province every day, and so, and i go to these intersections, and i do a, what's called a traffic survey. Uh, you can ask me about that later. I basically just counted the cars for 12 hours every day. Uh, one of the things about the job, though, is I got to see all kinds of places in the province, and the, the saying is, in Canada, there are two seasons, winter and road construction. You have three months, really, in the year that you can conceivably do some of these road projects, and so when it's construction time, you go and, and you do this. And you've probably had this experience, though. When you drive through these construction zones, there's a sign that says, men at work, right? You see that sign? And I would drive mile after mile, kilometer after kilometer in these zones early in the morning. And and did I see a single worker? No, not a single worker. Week after week, you wouldn't see people, but these signs would be up. Now, what does that have to do with our text? Well, as we read through Romans, as we see the wonderful truths of what God is doing, there's a part of us that says, God is at work. We see the signs, right? We see his justification, his, his salvation that he offers to us, that he changes us, that all of these wonderful things are true. And yet there's a point that some of us will, will see all of that, say it's wonderful, proclaim the doxologies of the text, praise God for it. And yet then when we pivot and sort of look at the world, we have trouble putting those things together. We can, it can feel like at times that, that God is at work, the sign is up, but what is God actually doing? When we look at a world that is confusing, that is full of conflict and controversy and maybe little progress we feel like for Christianity at times, at least in our context here in the United States, we, we wonder, what is God doing? And that's not just maybe an abstract question out there, but also a question that is, is in our own lives with the things that we've experienced. And we say, God, what what are you up to? How does my life and my story fit into the big picture of what God is doing in time and space? And it's to that question that we're going to turn this morning. What is God doing? Maybe you've read any op-eds in the last few years, really the last few months. There's a phrase that you might have noticed, and it's this, generational despair. I've read this about pretty much every generation from Gen Z up to whatever generation you want to name, that there is a sense in various generations of, of dread for the future. not really sure what the world's going to look like in five years, 10 years, 50 years. And there's, there's a dread about what is happening. This passage offers some hope to that doesn't leave us in that place. It answers some of our questions about what God is doing. And so let's turn our attention to God's word and see what he has for us this morning. We begin in verse 14 with a gospel foundation. Before we get to the full picture of what Paul is doing on God's mission, we see that there is a gospel foundation. Paul begins and says, I myself very personally begins to address these people that he has not met am satisfied about you, my brothers. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That's pretty high praise for a group of people. If Paul came to you and said you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to instruct, you'd feel, okay, good, I'm I'm good to go. And these are words that Paul says to these people even before they've they've read all of of Romans and really taken it to heart. If we look back at Romans chapter 1, in verse 8, it says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. This Roman church were people who were known by their faith. They knew the gospel. They knew Jesus. They knew the truth of his word. And Paul recognizes them as such. These are the type of people that Paul is, is talking. His brothers and sisters. Those who were once slaves, but now are obedient to God. Those who have faith in Jesus. That are good. Filled with goodness. That word goodness has a sense of being, being upright. Being generous, being kind, this is the type of people that are at this gospel foundation. This isn't mere flattery. Paul, not in this passage, but later, is going to ask them for a few things. And some people say, well, Paul is just trying to sort of butter up the audience here before he asks them for something. It seems from the whole letter that this is really what is true of these people. They know what is true, and they act on it. They have knowledge, They are filled with knowledge. This is not just smarts. They're not just intelligent people, but they have a deep knowledge of what is true. They know the gospel. They know Jesus. They know they are sinners. They know that God has done something in and through Jesus that is wonderful and life-giving to them, so much so that they are able to instruct one another. That word instruct also has a sense of admonish, correcting. When somebody goes away from the truth of God's word, they are able to direct them back. As I was looking at this text, I I do think that this this description really does describe us here at at Trinity. I've been here here for a while, and I've seen these qualities, full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to instruct. And that doesn't sort of exist in a vacuum. It comes from people who have, have been filled with knowledge, who have turned to God's Word, and have, in a context of believers, have learned together, have grown together. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a really great beginning to this, to this passage. There is this gospel foundation. This is all wonderfully true. Again, we could say, if, if all of this is true, though, why did Paul write the book of Romans? If they're full of knowledge, if they're filled with truth, that goodness they are able to instruct, why is he writing? Verse 15 begins to give us that answer. He says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. Paul reminds boldly. Now, when we hear reminders, some of us are like, oh yeah, I need some reminders, I've got some Post-it notes, alarms on my phone, that's sort of our idea of reminder. This is a little stronger than that. This is Paul sort of coming and putting something in front of them and saying, this, remember this. This isn't a passive sort of, oh, by the way, this is a bold reminder. And it implies that at times we forget what he is reminding these people. Even if we're full of goodness, Filled with knowledge. There are times that we fail to remember. What is Paul talking about to them boldly? He says, some points. Now, we have to sort of look back through Romans and say, well, where has Paul been, been bold? And there are a few points that Paul has been particularly bold. In Romans 6, when he says that you by no means shall continue in sin. That's a moment of, of boldness. He is saying, because of what Christ has done in and through you, because of the salvation you have been offered, there is a change. No longer do you live in sin. Now you live to Christ in God. That is who you are now. Even in the last few chapters, 12, 13, 14, Paul has, you could say, gotten into the weeds on some of the moral issues in terms of how we relate to other people, how we relate to authorities, how we treat one another with different views. On those places, Paul has been bold, speaking specifically to issues with people he's never met. There's boldness there. All of the boldness centers around this reality of the gospel, though. You could say that these people have, have underrealized the gospel in their moments where Paul has been particularly bold. The gospel has freed them from sin. The gospel has put them in relationship with these other people. And it is on those moments when they move away from that that Paul is particularly bold and clear. So he is bold towards them. And this might not be surprising to you, Paul's talked about the gospel, the foundation, that we are saved by faith. That That's really, we'd expect that. Paul's been on this sort of note right from the beginning of the book of, of Romans. And here at the end, he says the same thing. I don't know if, if you've ever uh, done this, but I, I think it's very interesting to listen to people's final words to a group of people. Maybe a, a lecture, a final lecture, or maybe a final sermon, a guy I know recently left a church on good terms that he'd been at for 15 years. And so I listened to his, his final sermon, and it was what you would expect. I sat under this individual's preaching for a time, and his sermon was really no different after 15 years. What do you think he talked about? Jesus, the gospel. He did the same thing he had done faithfully for 15 years, and here we see Paul really doing the same thing as he ends and begins to bring all this gospel to bear on his life. It's the gospel that he begins with. This pastor who was preaching his final sermon at this church quoted Martin Luther, who said that we are to preach like Jesus died yesterday, rose today, and is coming tomorrow. That's Paul. That's Paul and Martin Luther summarizing it. That is what Paul is about. And that's what, what you and I are about. We should not come to a text like this and say, great, I got the reminder, I'm good to go. We sort of pause and ask the questions that Paul is asking. There are really two questions of applications at this point in the text. First, are are we filled? Are we filled with goodness? Are we filled with knowledge? Are we able to instruct? It's a question that's not, that's, that's a diagnostic question to ask ourselves, am I filled? Do, do I really understand this? Do I have what you could call a, a gospel fluency? Am I fluent with the gospel? Does it come out of my mouth, in my heart? Is it what I think about? Is it what animates and moves me forward, what Christ has done for me, that I would bring glory to his name? Is that, is that true of me? I think all of us can, can, can read that and say, I want to be filled even more. I want to be filled to overflowing. And Paul would call us to do that by turning to God's word, by turning to a church community and experience the fullness of the Spirit working in and through us, that we would grow more and more in love with Jesus, more and more filled with his gospel that is at the foundation of all of this. That's the first question. The second question is this, where do I need to be boldly reminded of the gospel? Where do I need to be boldly reminded? Where where is the place in my life where I've become complacent to the truth of God's word? What sins have I just sort of justified as normal in our day and age? Where have I become complacent? Where have I brought divisions between believers that don't need to be there through scripture? Where, Where have I moved away from the wonder of the gospel? This is a call to go further up and further in, into the wonder of the triune God that we commune with. That's what animates Paul. That's where he begins. That is why he is so very bold to remind these believers. All right, that's our foundation for the gospel ministry that God is now calling Paul to. To think of these next verses, we look at 16, 17, 18, and 19, we see that Paul describes his, his gospel ministry. And it begins by talking about its, its goal, and I, I think it's important to pause for a moment and just consider who Paul is and where he's, he's writing. Romans is such wonderful, elevated, beautiful truth that sometimes we have a vision of Paul maybe secluded in some library, surrounded by scrolls and books and, and writing these wonderful words draft after draft, and, and that's not necessarily really the picture that we have here, is it? Paul's likely writing in Corinth after 10 years of missionary journeys, three missionary journeys. He has gone from place to place, and he has preached the gospel. This is written from a a missionary's sort of point of view on the frontiers of the gospel. And that shapes how how we read what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about some great theology that we can then know. He's talking about this wonderful theology that is in time and space, moving forward and accomplishing something miraculous and wonderful as Gentiles. People who have no business in God's people being brought in because of Jesus. That is what Paul is talking about. If we look back at our passage from last week, Romans 15, verse 12, Paul quotes the book of Isaiah, and he says this, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. That's the picture that should be ringing, singing in our ears as we go into this text, that Gentiles are coming in that they're believing, that they are giving praise and wonder to God. That is what Paul is all about. And that rings in our ears as we see what he is doing. Verse 16. He has been given grace by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is Paul's goal, that Gentiles would come to know Jesus, that they would come and be sanctified, an offering acceptable to Jesus. That word for minister there is one that has a connection to those who would serve in the temple, bringing sacrifices to God. It's a a priestly thing that Paul is describing and he is seeing himself as called to. And it might surprise you here what he's offering to God. If you notice, what what, what is Paul's offering? It's the Gentiles. He is offering the Gentiles to God. Now, that might seem a little bit odd thinking about just what does that actually mean. If we look back to Romans 12, though, I think it makes some sense. Back in Romans 12, what does Paul ask us to do? To offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It's that same response to the gospel in Romans 12 that Paul describes here as those who have encountered the wonder of who Jesus is, offer their bodies, offer themselves as a living sacrifice to God. It is Paul's offering to God through these Gentiles who come and worship. And what is the goal of of them coming in? Well, verse 18 says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and faith. The Gentiles are brought to obedience. Now, that might surprise you at first to think, well, is that really the, the whole goal? Isn't, what, about, what about faith? How do these things work? Paul wants and desires that these Gentiles would come and obey God. If we look back at Romans chapter 1, verse 5, we get our answer of how these things fit together. Romans 1, verse 5 says this, "...Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith." For the sake of His name, among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ." that phrase, "obedience of faith." That's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 15, that as we obey, as we turn in faith to Jesus, that is an act of obedience, and it leads to a life of obedience. These Gentiles show their obedience not to try to keep God's law and justify themselves, but because they have had faith worked into them, they now obey. That's what Paul longs to see. That's what God's mission is in bringing all these people together. Now, what do do we do with this? How do we understand this? Maybe we think this is great for Paul. He's out there doing his missionary thing. But what about you and I? How do we begin to understand this? Well, some of the language that Paul uses for himself here of priestly service is used elsewhere in Scripture of, of all of us. You know, in First Peter chapter 2, it talks about how we are a priesthood of all believers, that we too have a role to play in this reality coming forward of people turning and believing in Jesus, of coming to see who the wonder or all the wonder of who God is and placing their faith in the one who saves them. We have a responsibility there to join in this this priesthood of bringing the gospel forward, of an offering to God. And so this asks maybe the question of of how are we doing in that regard? We read the Great Commission earlier and this call to to go and bring the gospel to those who don't know the gospel, to bring discipleship to those who haven't been discipled, to be priests. Uh, A writer who recently... Few years ago, began a conversion to Christianity, noted that in his experience, Christians were either on ramps to the gospel or walls. They were either on ramps to the gospel or walls. Those who kind of repelled him and said, I don't want anything to do with you, or ones who were on ramps who brought him, brought him in. Paul here in his priestly ministry is offering as a, as a, as a bridge builder, one who, who brings people in through the work of the Spirit. And we're called to, to participate in that. Paul doesn't get into the specifics of how. He will next, next, in this next part of the chapter, which we'll get to next week. But he does say that this is part of our responsibility. How does this happen? Well, it happens in God's power. Look at verse 17. Paul, as he's talking about his work, says, In Christ, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. This is a really helpful verse to hear Paul say. Sometimes we hear about Apostle Paul, and we say, Man, I can never do that. Um, we say, like the only way to really fulfill any of this is to have half my coworkers in church next Sunday and have a Bible study that I started that is just growing by leaps and bounds, otherwise i 'm not not doing what I 'm supposed to do. Even Paul, in the midst of all of this explosive growth in the church, says all of this is, is God who has done this. In Christ, I have reason to be proud of my work. yes, it's Paul 's work. Yes, he did work. He worked hard for ten years. We know that elsewhere in Scripture but here he points back to God and says, it's, it's all that God has done. Look at verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Note that he says, through me. He's not sort of saying that, that God is here and Paul is here and we're kind of pushing together and we got a lot done. Paul is saying all of it was, was through, through, through God. He worked through me. I, I'm just sort of the vessel of how he works. This is to be our posture towards thinking about God and his mission going forward, that it is God who does this. If we turn over a few pages in our Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, we see a picture of how this really works. Paul says, "'What then is Apollos?' What is Paul? "'Servants through whom you believed, "'as the Lord assigned to each. "'I planted, Apollos watered, "'but God gave the growth. "'So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything.' But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. It is God who gives the growth. And that is what Paul is reminding us of today. I talked with a, a friend recently who, after many years of a faithful pastoral ministry, realized that really the only times that he he saw a, Large things happen in people's lives. Conversions, those sorts of things. Now, that's not the only large thing that can happen in somebody's life, but, but when he saw people deeply changed, he noticed a trend. It always happened when he had sort of stepped out of the way and said, God, I don't know what you're going to do in this situation. Would you use me? And, and God did. And we see Paul doing the same thing. That's not some sort of mystical, you have to get out of the way to let God do it, but it's, it's a reflection of how things actually happen. It's God in his power doing it. Paul says here in, in verse 18, he says, by word and deed, that is the word of God going forward and, and the deeds that, that Paul has done, the work that Paul has done, that is what God has, has used. And some of that work has been normal things, of just spending time with people, of living in these cities where he brought the gospel. At times it was the more miraculous verse 19 by the power of signs and wonders these things that declare god's power but all of these things all the words deeds the normal the miraculous all of that is done how by the power of the spirit of god that's how anything happens and so for you and i as we think through what the world is how god is working it is by his power and his spirit that anything gets done maybe you've heard of hudson taylor missionary to china started China Inland Mission, and this is 1800s. He was a fairly prominent missionary in China, started a, a really numerically successful ministry. 800 ministry, or missionaries joined him in the work there. They saw 18,000 conversions. And his philosophy of ministry is this. He said, God's work and God's way will never lack God's supply. That's what we see Paul doing. God's work, God's way, never lacking God's supply. Not being anxious and saying we need to to find the right sort of way of doing this and then things will be successful, but trusting God, trusting his gospel and his power by his spirit to move forward. That's how things happen, and God is faithful to do that. God's work and God's way will never lack God's supply. And yet there, there is a challenge here in this text to think of our words and our deeds and say, how are those actually being on ramps to the gospel? but those we interact with? How are we being on ramps to the gospel, those who would move people by the power of the Spirit closer to the truth of God's word? How are we initiating into the messiness of lives of the people around us that need Jesus? How could we grow in that? How could we see the wonder of what Paul is doing through the power of the Spirit and say, Lord, would you use me somehow in that? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where or how or the details, but Lord, would you, would you use me towards that end? We can have real hope that when we do that, God works in and through us. It's a move of humility to say, God, I can't do anything without you. And yet through you, through me, you can do what you would have done in this, in this world. And that is wonderfully hope-filled for us. But Paul doesn't end there. He moves and he says that he, even as he did this, he fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That might sound like a large statement. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What is Paul saying there? He's not saying the work is done, but he's saying what God called him to do in this area, he has done all the way from Jerusalem around to Illyricum, he has brought the gospel. You can flip to maybe a map in the back of your Bible and see the region that Paul is talking about, but he's gone in this sort of a roundabout sort of circular route to bring the gospel to the major cities in this region. And he's planted churches there, and those churches have flourished. They have gone deep into what is true, so much so that they reach out widely to the churches or to places where there aren't churches. That is what Paul is, is describing there. And he has this heart for the frontiers of the gospel, places where the gospel has not been. Verse 20 says thus, this, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, Paul is not saying here that we must only bring the gospel to places that have never heard about it. But he is saying that in time and space, God has used him in a particular way to bring the gospel where it wasn't before. Now, sometimes we take this passage and we say, well, it means I've got to take sort of my brand of Christianity and find where that isn't, and I'm going to bring it there, and then I'll really be fulfilling what Apostle Paul is is talking about. There's something deeper, though, that Paul is really getting at, and we understand that as we look at the Old Testament reference that Paul makes here. Verse 21, he's quoting from Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah 52 and verse 15. Maybe you can see at the bottom of your Bible, there's a a footnote that directs your attention there. This is what the verses around this Old Testament prophecy point to. It's talking about Jesus, the suffering servant, the one who will come to bring salvation. Isaiah 52, verse 13 and following says this, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. What Isaiah is talking about there is Jesus coming and his his death, his crucifixion, and how people did not understand. Kings, nations did not understand who Jesus was, and yet Paul is saying in and through what God has done in his life, that is happening. Gentiles, kings, are coming to faith in Jesus, that God's gospel mission is being accomplished. That is the hope that we have as we look at this passage, that, that we can see this. And Paul is not sort of just being proud and, and built up and saying, look, at things are being fulfilled with me. No, it's saying this is what God is doing. That prophecy in Isaiah, it's it's happening because of what Jesus said and what God is doing now through me. This should be deeply encouraging to us. As we think of those big questions about what God is doing, when we see what God is, is God at work? What is he doing? The answer is, is yes. God is doing exactly what we see in this passage. God is building his church. We read about it last week, where it says that with one voice, We may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is bringing together a group of people, Jews, Gentiles, those who have no business being part of his people. He is pulling those people together that they might worship God and glorify him. And by the power of his spirit, he is inviting us to be part of that. That's the good news. That should move us away from fear, away from confusion, away from doubt, and say this is an example of what God is doing in glorious ways through Paul and also through us that the gospel would go forward. We can be reminded this morning with boldness that this is what God is doing. God is on the move. God has not stopped. He will not stop. He will accomplish through Jesus all that he has set forth to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, would you help us take this this large story of what you are doing and see our, our part in it, but our story somehow, maybe in ways we don't understand, is part of what you were doing here. That God, that you are building your church. That you are building your kingdom. Lord, that you would be glorified and praised. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation that is so wonderfully apparent in and through Paul's ministry. Lord, would you build our hope and our confidence in you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let's take a moment.